This is Anchor LA, a podcast presenting world headlines, technology news, arts and data, and encouragement from the Praise Light Media Studios in Panorama City, California. Good day, it's Wednesday, the 21st of February, 2018. National grocery chain Albertsons has announced a deal to purchase well-known pharmacy Rite Aid after rival Walgreens failed bid to take over the struggling chain. Rite Aid did sell 2,000 stores to Walgreens recently, but Albertsons' buyout deal outlines plans to take ownership of all of the remaining 2,500 stores. Albertsons grocery in-store pharmacies, some of which are branded as Save-On Drugs, are rumored to rebrand as Rite-Aid with the 2,500 standalone stores keeping their Rite-Aid branding. In Rite-Aid, Albertsons Companies is buying a chain that has already remodeled more than half of its stores into a format that includes expanded pharmacy services and more health products. Like its drugstore chain competition, Rite-Aid also operates walk-in clinics that can deal with cases of the flu and other relatively minor complaints. In a rapidly changing retail environment in the U.S. each quarter, outlines radically new directions for the movers and shakers of last generation. Google has been working on uniting all of its different payment tools under one brand, Google Pay. On Android devices, however, the legacy Android Pay app has stuck with its existing brand. That is, until yesterday with the launch of Google Pay for Android. With the new branding, Google is rolling out a branding update to Android Pay as well as introducing some new functionality that the company hopes will make its payment service ubiquitous, both in stores and on the internet. TechCrunch is reporting that Google is also launching a redesign of the Google Wallet app for sending and requesting money, and it's now called Google Pay Send. Besides a basic redesign of the Android Pay app and new branding, the Google Pay home screen now shows you relevant stores around you where you can pay with Google Pay. That list is personalized based on previous stores where you've used the service, as well as your location. In addition, the home screen shows you all of your recent purchases, and you can still add all of your loyalty cards to the app. In an effort to widen the acceptance of mobile payments in the real world, now users who bank with Bank of America in the US or a Google partner like MBank in Poland can set up Google Pay right from their bank's app without having to install Google Pay. Once that's set up, you can simply pay with Google Pay online and out and about in day-to-day -day transactions. We'll see how the former Google Wallet concept, then Android Pay, now called Google Pay feature catches on this time around. Time now for everybody's favorite guessing game, What's My Line? From 1950 to 1967, the CBS television network aired a new type of show, a quiz show quite unconventional for the time. What's My Line featured a set of recurring panelists and a moderator, John Charles Daly, the notable news correspondent and anchor on several networks over the years. The show would introduce several guests with often unique professions. The panelists' job was to guess that profession 
by a series of yes and no questions. The guests would win up to $50 based on how many rounds it took before the panelists guessed their lines or professions. Unknown to the public, mystery guests were also paid $500 as an appearance fee, whether they won or lost the game. To begin a round, the host, John Charles Daly, would invite the contestant to come in and sign in, please, which by 1960 had evolved to the more familiar, enter and sign in, please. The contestant entered by writing his or her name on a small sign-in board. Daly would then usually ask where the guest lived, and with the woman if she should be addressed as Miss or Mrs. In its early years, business suits and street dresses were worn by the host and panelists, but by 1953, the men normally wore black suits with bow ties. A few guests in fact wore tuxedos, while female panelists wore formal gowns and often gloves. During gameplay, Daly would often need to clarify a potentially confusing question, but he had a knack for amusingly wordy, long-winded replies that often left panelists more confused than before. Mr. Ellswood wants to be very fair here. We would have to agree that since it is made of matter, that there is a point at which uh, it changes its character and to that degree has been used up in the terms of the original function for which it, uh, it was sold. Now, if that's what you had in mind when you asked the question, and I'm sure that you will bring your massive integrity to answering this particular question of mine. Absolutely. What if that's I had what you mind, had in mind, so help me. you did. Then we'll please continue your question. Uh, may I presume, Mr. Ellsworth, that this product is not eaten or not taken internally? Yes, sir. From today's perspective, What's My Line is perhaps best known for its attention to manners and class. The game followed a line of formality and adherence to rules, although using first names at other points, Daly usually spoke using surnames when passing the questioning to a particular panelist. He would also give a polite chiding to the panel if they began a conference without first asking him. Sadly, in 1967, the long-running quiz show was cut due to, according to one of the panelists, the fact that the network had decided that game shows were no longer suitable for prime time. The 876th and final CBS telecast of What's My Line aired on September 3rd, 1967, and it was highlighted by clips from past telecasts. A visit by the show's first contestants, one of the guests, who was from the New York Unemployment Office, and the final mystery guest, who was John Charles Daly himself. Daly had always been in the emergency mystery guest list, just in case the scheduled guest was unable to appear on the live broadcast. However, that had never happened, so they decided to go with that plan for the last episode. What's My Line, to this day, still entertains scores of people seeking wholesome, clean, enjoyable entertainment from an era that, at least on camera, did not strive to push the envelope, attempt to shock with crude or inappropriate behavior, or hold hostage the viewer's mind in such a way so as to gain a cult following, such as seen in today's reality TV, drama shows, and the like that seem to trap viewers into obsessive and addictive viewing and pondering at all hours of the day and night. 
but if anything can be an example of how much things have changed between now and that time, particularly in the realms of television program content, it would be this clip of a conversation between John Charles Daly and the mystery guest evangelist Billy Graham shortly after his profession was guest. I must say, sir, that it, uh, it's wonderful to have you in New York, but if memory serves me right, and I think this is a, a very excellent and apt demonstration of how this world of ours is shrinking, last Sunday, if memory serves me right, you were in Berlin, and you spoke in Berlin to 100,000 people. That's right. Gathered here within the, the very body politic of godless communism, this little island, and I'm sure that uh, there's nothing quite as heartening to us even as far away as we are to know that when you go to Berlin there is this outpouring, this rededication to the principles of, of uh, a God and man's responsibility to Well, God. it was very thrilling because the uh, meeting was held right on the line between East and West Berlin. And I stood on the steps of the old Reichstag. And to preach the gospel to that many people, and the communist people had pulled up six tanks and armored cars back of us. Uh, they were, and yet there were hundreds of people lined up on the other side, watching and listening as the loudspeakers carried the message over there. And uh, about 40% uh, of the audience out before me was from East Germany. Many of them had even come from Poland and Hungary to attend the meeting. And it was, uh, it, it was really a tremendous thing to, to see this, and a most heartening one, as you've just said. Well, you've had a heartening year, I'm sure, because I know that you've had, you haven't been home any more than four or five weeks, I That's think, in all. the past 12 months. I've been, been to Africa, South America, and all over Europe. That's right. You're going to stay home a while now? Yes, I'm going to stay home for the next few months. Good. We're lucky to have <laughs> you, you home John. for a while. Nice Thank to have you with us. And thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for being with us on What's My Life? What's My Line is a CBS Television Network production in association with Mark Goodson and Bill Todman. This is Hal Sims speaking. The third annual Global Hymn Sing is expected to reach up to one million people in churches all over the world this coming Sunday. Churches from different traditions and languages will be singing the classic hymn, Jesus Sell Rain, as an expression of their commitment to the mission of Jesus Christ. The project is an initiative of Getty Music with OMF, which supports church planting, missional businesses, student work and medical practice. Already more than 700,000 people from 3,300 churches in 68 countries have signed up for the 2018 campaign, and more are registering their participation every day. The use of the hymn, Jesus Sell Rain, was inspired by Scottish Olympic athlete Eric Little, who was the focus of the award-winning film Chariots of Fire. In 1925, less than a year after winning the gold medal at the Paris Olympics, Little left to become a missionary in China. When he was leaving Edinburgh's Waverley Station, he was asked to comment, but instead of making a statement, he sang the words, Jesus shall reign wherever the sun does his successive journeys run. His kingdom stretch from shore to shore till moons shall wax and wane no more. Hymn writers Keith and Kristen Getty have written a new chorus for the hymn by Isaac Watts. Keith has said that, in that moment when the world was against him, Little stood firm and continued on the mission that he knew 
God had called him to do. The story of the church in China has been an incredible one growing from 1 million believers to an estimated 100 million believers today. He said that they want this campaign not only to be about congregational singing, but churches partnering in missions to see more lives impacted by the transformational message of the gospel. When we sing, we obey the word of God, we build up others, and we dig deep roots in the word of God. Colossians 3 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whether you sing Jesus Sell Rain or any other biblical hymn or song to God, it strengthens us spiritually for trials present or trials to come. It's one of the ways that God designed us to have true joy, as the Psalms repeatedly points out. And when we sing to Him, we glorify God. So sing. Thanks for listening to Anchor LA on Twitter at Anchor LA Podcast and Facebook.com slash Anchor LA, where you can find links and information to various topics we cover on the show. Contact us anytime with questions or comments or call into our show directly on the Anchor app with input or suggestions. We'd always love to hear from you. Until next time from Panorama City, California, I'm Ben Ditzel. This is Anchor LA.